This is the Coogee Base Special, a crisis management podcast brought to you by Trevor Shea Pivot. My name is Garth Callender, and each episode I'm going to take you on a journey to explore crises from Australia and around the globe. We're going to unpack them a little to understand what triggered them, what the impact has been, not just for the organisation, but often the industry sector and beyond. And most importantly, we're going to look at what lessons we can learn from them. This episode is based on the 2016 tragedy that occurred at the Gold Coast theme park, Dreamworld. We often try and find lightheartedness and a bit of humour in how we deliver these podcasts. However, with this incident and the follow-on handling of the crisis from the organisation's executive and board, leave us nothing to laugh about. Also, what is apparent in this episode is that Marley Walchuk and I record these podcasts from opposite ends of the globe. Technology has let us down a little, particularly in the clarity from the Canadian end. Notwithstanding these two issues, stick with us as there are some really important lessons to be learned from this crisis. So but why don't I start, Marley? So, so you've lived in Australia before. That's right. Yes, I was in Sydney for six years, um, but I certainly did take uh, a few trips up to the Gold Coast, which I completely enjoyed. And uh, in fact, went to Dreamworld, um, loved it. It was such a you know great place for family and you know went with two kids and we just had a great time i even went on the ride that uh the the tragedy um is about so yeah yeah. and i and i think that sentiment that you touch on there is why it jarred so much with the with the the general population so dream world it's a theme park on the gold coast it's all about fun family holidays happiness excitement and there's so many people that have been to Dreamworld, so they've got that personal connection. There's there's millions of people who would have travelled on the the ride itself, where the where the tragedy took place, the, the Thunder River, sorry, the Thunder Rapid River ride, where where this this incident took took place. So they can they can relate to this very personally, and also take that step back and say, wow, this this could have been me and my family involved in this. So I I, I think there's a lot of aspects here, but. You know, tragically, every holiday season, multiple fatalities on the road all the time, and 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 often they're 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 lucky to make page five, let alone page one. So, to get into the nuts and bolts of what actually occurred, there were four fatalities on this ride from from a malfunction. So this was twenty um, fifth of October, twenty sixteen. So so only three years ago. So it's still very raw. For a lot of people involved, and I and I and I know it's still raw, even for just aspects of the community on the Gold Coast as well, just because it is it, it is so present. Um, there's a coronial inquest which only only finished a year ago, um, oh. and there's there's a lot of people who have been personally touched by this. Yeah, well, tell tell me because we we didn't hear very much about it on you know on our media. Uh, just a little bit, and then of course I had talked to people from Australia, my friends from Australia, and got a bit more on it. But can you just outline the the exact incident and what what happened? Yeah, um, I've seen some of the diagrams, uh, and from what I can work out, so it's a ride that it's based on on water, so it's supposed to look like a like a, a river rapids. This this large large inflatable tube, you sit in the middle in in seats, and you, and there's a there's a a round grab rail in the middle, so it um, has six people in it, uh, and these these rafts 
go round this this circuit, um, bob- bobbling on the water, going down sort of rapids. What happened on this day, so 25th of October, was there was uh, one empty raft sitting uh, just, just short of the exit point, and then another raft was approaching the exit point with six people in it. From what I understand, the water levels dropped to a point where that vacant raft, the empty raft, uh, got jammed, so it was no longer floating, and the, the second raft with the six people collided with it, throwing two people from it and, and killing them, and then the raft flipped, crushing two other people as well. The, the result was um, the deaths of, of four people, so Cindy Lowe, Kate Goodchild, her brother Luke Dorset, and his partner, um, Ruzia Aragi extremely tragic event i said this jars with people and i think part of that as well is that this had been the first time in nearly 40 years that we'd had multiple fatalities on on a on a theme park ride what was the last one that you remember well it's going back and and it's and it's i i was quite young at the time so i don't recall it but it was um 1979 the iconic lunar park had a fire on their ghost train ride um and tragically six children were killed and one adult and uh it was too young for me to remember but i i grew up in sydney and uh, i i know it was a topic of conversation all the time when you'd you'd go to lunar park or you'd see lunar park so it had it had been nearly 40 years so 37 years since that had occurred and since we'd had multiple fatalities like this. Right. Oh, goodness. Back to Dreamworld, I mean, what, what was the first thing that they did, like, when this happened? Um, obviously, they closed the park. They did, and they released a, a statement on their website and on their Facebook page which said, the park is closed until further notice due to a tragic accident, and we're deeply shocked and saddened by the tragic incident our hearts and thoughts go out to the families involved and their loved ones so from a crisis communication standpoint yeah okay they'd acknowledged this shown some some emotion towards the family um and obviously that the park was closed because there was there was then a police investigation centered around around this ride right and did Um, they do anything else from all accounts emergency workers worked well into the night to to free the bodies of those trapped under the raft. So um, really a, a horrible situation. So so Dreamworld um, uh, sits under a parent company, which is Ardent Leisure. Dreamworld is their flagship theme park. They they do own, they dabble in a few few other things. They have another theme park here on the Gold Coast. I, I believe they run Wet and Wild. Uh, they do a bit of property and a few other things. So it really, whilst the, you didn't see much of, of Dreamworld CEO, rather it, it became the um, responsibility of Arden Leisure, so that parent company, to um, to communicate and to to bear the brunt of what what was happening in regards to these these issues. So uh, initially, and, and Arden Leisure was a Australian stock exchange listed company. Their, their share prices dropped twenty two percent within the first three days. I'm not an economist nor, nor a finance expert, but but they've had ongoing losses since this incident. It's probably difficult to. To work out exactly what is Dreamworld specific and what is more broadly around the company, but they they lost uh, what is it sixty three million in in twenty seventeen financial year, and then increased ninety million twenty eighteen financial year, and and guest numbers have really remained stagnant at Dreamworld. There's talk about them and reinvesting significant money into the park, but it's um 
it, it has really struggled ever since. And they're, they're an interesting company. So, so whilst you can, you can wind this back and say, well, what, maybe this was a failing of their risk management processes, and absolutely maybe it was. However, this was nothing new to them. They, they, they'd actually won risk management awards. Um, I think the most oh. recent was a 2012 risk management award for their risk management practices. And like I said, ASX listed, so they had significant governance around, around the organisation. And I, and I raise the risk management thing because I always say with, with things like this and a company like this, their risk management processes were in place, but surely somewhere at the top of their risk register was multiple fatalities caused by ride malfunction. And yes, there would have been risk minimization, you know, how, how you treat that risk, the minimization, the mitigation processes in place, but also it would have been enough for the executive and the, manage- and the, the board to have it in the back of their mind, right, what do we do if this ever does occur? And I would expect a process in place for how they would manage multiple fatalities from a ride malfunction, which is what happened here. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is obviously not what had occurred. Um, they were really caught short. They announced that the park would reopen on the 28th of October, so three days later, later saying that they'll have a special memorial for the victims. Um, this was... This was publicised. However, they obviously hadn't worked with the police over this. And the police, when they heard about this, put a stop to it, saying, well, actually, the park is still being treated as a crime scene, so there's no way you can open it. Um, So, yeah, yeah, so it looked really untidy. They had to flip-flop on their decisions. Um, the, The other thing which really, I think, what really got the public offside but also got the media sort of got it got a taste of blood um and you know media scrums happen with these things as soon as they see shortfalls they've they've really jumped on board and this is a classic one it arden leisure is an asx listed company they had a governance requirement to run an annual annual general meeting so they did that but as part of that they did a few stupid things one is they talked about and approved the CEO's bonus, which was $860,000, which, you know, is probably on par for a high-performing CEO who's meeting KPIs. But at the end of the day, she had just had fatalities on her watch. And that does not, that does not send a good message to anyone. Tells a story, there's a focus on money as a, as opposed to human beings. That's, that's, that's what it looks like. That's what it reads as. And did they offer anything to the families at all? Was there any compensation or and and that's the other part of this which which went really poorly and this was again associated with the annual general meeting the chair spruked all these cliched one-liners about caring for the family and feeling for them in this time of loss uh, and then the ceo of ardent leisure said that they they'd contacted the families and mm-hmm. it was one of those extraordinarily cringeworthy events if you're interested you can get it on on YouTube, which is the video of the the press conference as part of the AGM, where where Deborah Thomas says, "Yes, we've been contacting the family and this and that." Uh, then a, a reporter sticks their hand up and said, "Look, I've just been in touch with uh, one of the families, and they're furious because they haven't heard from you, but they're watching this live on TV, saying that you've been in touch with them." Mm-hmm. Um, she was really caught out. One of the end results of, I guess, those two situations of the CEO's bonus and the fact that they've been caught out. She she turned around and said, "Well, I'm going to put that bonus to uh, charity to support support the victims' victims' families." 
sentiment was okay, but I guess yeah. at that stage, then it just looks like she's reacting to the media, not That's actually right. not doing that for, for any personal feeling or, or really to support them them at all, rather than just to avoid further media backlash. So this really just backpedaling. So it, it's like now it now it's yeah. pointless, really. That's yeah. right. Yeah, and she she really she attempted to appeal to public sympathy, which we know just doesn't go down well. Having big corporates trying to get sympathy, it, mm. it, it really distances further the general community. And the, the obvious one, if you want to look back historically, is uh, 2010, the Deepwater Horizon oil spill in the, the Gulf of Mexico. What, what have there been? Nearly 5 million barrels of oil. Um, oh, yes. One, one of the largest environmental disasters in history. Um, 11 workers were killed. The, the BP CEO, so Tony Hayward, was interviewed and said, oh, I'd, I, I want this over. I'd like to get my life back. Um, oh, yeah, and it, oh. that, just, that just doesn't bode well with anyone when, when, no. uh, when these highly paid CEOs, whose jobs it is to manage this stuff, um, no. start that whole woe is me thing. Nobody warms to that at all. The contrast of that would be um, Andrew McKenzie, so the BHP Billiton chief executive during the Simarco dam disaster in, oh yeah, I'm going to say Brazil, but he immediately flew to the site. He was immediately in front of the cameras and gave up his multi-million dollar bonus straight away before anyone had said anything. He said, no, nah, my watch, I don't deserve this bonus. It's going to support people who are involved. And and I guess that takes us back to that, that initial comms piece as well. This was a written statement on their website, on their Facebook page, not a human being standing up speaking from the heart about about this, this tragedy. So again, it just didn't endear the, the public to ardent leisure. In the end, they just appeared cold-hearted, financially motivated and and really self-indulgent so t 29th of october so four days later the, the queensland government announced a blitz on safety inspections for other parks like this and so i talk about it quite often the fact that it can be a standalone incident involving one organization which has a an effect across that whole industry sector in this space the tourism and theme park industry the obvious one to compare that to right now is the the issues in the building industry. Two things have sort of come to a head right now, which is um, the flammable cladding and the structural defects in buildings. So the um, cladding piece sort of came about from the Greenfield Tower fires in the UK and then multiple fires down in Victoria as well, which brought into the public spotlight and under the under the lens and then at the same time, we had the um, the structural defects in the block of units at Homebush and then uh, at least two other ones, so Zetland and Mascot, where these towers were found to have significant defects and people had to be evacuated from, from their homes. Um, okay. So you have these two incidents at, at once, which have a dramatic effect on the entire building industry, the real estate industry uh, across the board, mu much greater than just involving the companies that built those buildings that actually had that flow and effect to, to the entire industry sector. And this incident had the same, and there were other rides closed down in other parks uh, around around the state. So, I mean, so from your crisis management background, what is, in, in you know, summarising, what would you have rather seen them do? 
one of the one of the things which really came out here was that there was silence from from Dreamworld and Ardent Leisure for a while. That they had that they had that message on their Facebook page. And then it looked like they had reverted to listening to probably their lawyers and they had decided to say nothing, trying to avoid further scrutiny. Um, and they'd sort of reverted back to the old, there's a there's a coronial inquiry going to happen, so we, we can't say anything. Again, it doesn't endear the public to you. A coronial inquiry is not a criminal inquiry. What was obvious right from the start was that... Uh, the ride had malfunctioned and that had caused the deaths. If you want to be honest and transparent with the public to get them on side, that, that's what you need to say, um, even if it is admit, admitting that you're at fault. We spoke in the last podcast about uh, about Arnott's getting out there and they were they were so open with, with their communications. They even published the, um, the, the demands by the extortionists. So they even published the, oh, yes. the extortionists. Right. Dem- demands and what that did it was endeared the public to Arnott's and actually the public started to see Arnott's as the victim now it'd be very difficult for Arden to do that but the fact that they had basically a comms blackout until the AGM meant that they were under growing growing scrutiny and at the end of the day their first real communication to the public was the AGM where the CEO had been caught out um, telling telling porcupies about contacting the family Deborah Thomas, that CEO, and I, and I, I do feel sorry for Deborah Thomas because she has worn the brunt of this whole thing, but she didn't quite last another year after this, where she stood down. And I think it's, that's great that as a CEO she stayed for that that period of time to try and fix the problem as best as possible. I guess you know one of those things where you you hear all too often is CEOs falling on their sword and resigning when a crisis occurs. But I always that's say, well. Yeah. Well, when a crisis occurs is when we need a CEO with in-depth knowledge of the company. Uh, so, she, so, so she left in in April the following year, um, and I do say, you know, she did wear the brunt. At the end of the day, there was a board behind this which she heard very little from. Uh, you know, she was the face of 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 ardent leisure or dream world during the the Thunder River Rapids ride fatalities. Interestingly, they they had a new CEO managing director come on um, who lasted four months in the job that year. So, so obviously an extraordinarily challenging role. And that was at the lead up to the, the coronial inquiry, which took place just last year. So June to October last year, probably worth highlighting some of the things that came out of that because it, there were just so many failings, the workplace health and safety and the procedural safety failings were quite extreme. So the the inquest was told that the ride had broken down twice that very same day in the hours before the the raft collision. Uh, They'd heard that the operator wasn't aware that there was an emergency stop button. Um, and And she'd been trained only that morning. So only the morning of that fatal accident. Oh, so she was extremely goodness. new on the job. So again, you've got to feel sorry for these these you know. Oh, young people that's terrible for this, her. Uh, it was told that the, from a uh, technology point that there was no alarm signal for when a pump malfunctioned, uh, which kept the water up to certain levels to make sure that all those rafts continue to float, uh, yep. and that the staff used uh, what was it? Uh, the staff used a stain on the wall 
to monitor the ride's water levels. So, so nothing in there in regards to technology and a safety mechanism to make sure that those those rides kept on kept buoyant and kept moving. So, and there, oh, there's more. Oh, um, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So that, little in place to to keep everything safe. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> The safety manager talked about cutbacks in funding on repairs and maintenance. They heard about that electricians didn't look for the cause of the pump malfunctions for the previous had malfunctioned before. Rather, they just kept resetting them. And basically, the engineer supervisor said that the that ride should not have been in service that day. Very tragic. Right from the the safety and emergency procedures all the way through to the handling of it from a executive and board perspective so many failings and at the end result was a loss of life and then prolonged suffering of those people who were involved whether it be from those working in the park or from family friends uh, people at the park at the time think things that could have been managed a lot better for the well-being of, of everyone involved I, I, th I think keep going back to what you said in the beginning about there not being an actual uh, system or uh, like a, a plan in place for something like this when you would think that that would be the first plan that they would have brought up in a crisis management meeting. Because, you know, if somebody dies on a ride, what do we do? I keep thinking, well, like that, that's a given that you would yeah. have that but they really didn't seem to have anything in place. Yeah, and I think a, well, a really well-drilled crisis management team is great to be able to take the blinkers off and be able to scenario plan for those outside-of-the-box things. But this wasn't one of them. This was no. one of those things that would have been on their risk register. They would have been very much aware of, of the possibility of, of fatalities, but they were yeah. caught at a, at a standing start, completely unprepared for this. Well, there's so much to take away from this. Sometimes I don't, I don't know quite where to start from this, but I think, I, I think probably... If you want to distill it down to to what what they really did wrong, I think foremost there was a lack of strategic leadership. I think that's where it really failed. Rather, they were trying to manage the situation, trying to get back to business as usual as quickly as possible to make sure that the governance things got taken care of. All that, they yeah. forgot that they were leading a group of other human beings and they were yep. responsible to a broader group of stakeholders. So I think their failing was in the leadership piece particularly. Mm. You, can, you can definitely delve into, into other aspects. You, you obviously can't go past the timing of the AGM, what was said at the AGM and what was yeah. agreed to at the AGM, absolutely. Um, you can go back and look at the risk management processes and the fact that they weren't but they didn't appear to be used as any sort of guide for crisis preparation. You can go back and look at the what really occurred, which was, a, I guess, a, a crisis of confidence in the Ardent Leisure Board, who, who again, were, were very quiet during this whole thing. Uh, and at the end of the day, the buck stops with the board. However, it was the CEO who was primarily the face of, of this crisis. Right. And I think the fact that this is not just about communications. Uh, so crises like these, there needs to be sort of that holistic organisational involvement. To fix these problems, it's got to be about the organisation acting to fix them, not mm -hmm. just about 
telling people what they're doing or what they're thinking. So really that the comms piece is secondary. So you do things to fix it and then you communicate those. I think what Ardent Leisure was doing here was focusing on what they were going to say, not what they were going to do. Um, and in fact, if you want to go right back, probably what they were not going to say initially. Um, yeah. And I, I, I don't know about you, Marley, but I feel dirty after this one. And I just feel, you know, it's one of those ones that really brings you down a bit. Cause, uh, yes, no, absolutely. Yeah, not only you've got that loss of life, but you've got the the exacerbated effects on those people involved just by, by some poor management board decisions. Yeah. Well, what, what are we going to be talking about next? Uh, <laughs> Hopefully not something quite as sad, but uh, it's all no. going to be discussed, right? It's, I mean, that's yeah. how we learn. So the next one we're going to do is the, the finger in the Wendy's chili, which is uh, nowhere near as serious as this one. Sure, it's a bit <laughs> sad that somebody lost their finger. Um, so yeah, so so up next is is uh, is the Wendy's product tampering, and then we'll um, we'll also you know I've, I say it all the time, but my favourite one, which I'm, I'm finalising the research on, which is uh, just some of those looks into the fashion industry um, and how some of those large and life characters like Dolce and Gabbana, and some right. of the executives behind Victoria's Secret, how them drawing off on social media. Um, making wild claims are having a significant impact on their organisation and more broadly on the, the sort of the, the fashion glamour side of, of, uh, of uh, the, the fashion industry. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Garth. That was fabulous. So, many, so much to learn, even though, even though it was a difficult subject to tackle. And uh, I really appreciate everything that I've gotten from it. And I, and I guess we just, uh, with, with all these things, and I, and I would really encourage feedback with this, I'd love to bring up in follow-on episodes of things which people think that we, sh- we could have paid more attention to, call, call us out on anything we got wrong, or, or bring up things which we could have explored further. So best way to do that is, is contacting us via email and information at trevorshapivot.com, or alternatively, jump on our website, and that's where you can find other case studies, links to other podcasts, uh, and there'll also be uh, links to contact us as well. Um, so that's trevorshapivot.com. And by all means, people can sign up to our regular crisis updates. So Marla, it's been delightful. Thank you again for your, for your time today. Pleasure. Look forward to the next one.